Here it is. No time to investigate. Science stations gather data for computer banks. Uhura, notify the discovery on subspace radio. Welcome, everyone, to the Star Trek Discovery Podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Here today with our first full-length episode to bring you up to speed on the upcoming Star Trek Discovery series on CBS All Access. Pete, it feels like so long ago that this show was first announced. I believe it was uh, November of uh, 2015 that we were first told new Star Trek is coming. And here we are with just uh, just a handful of months away before we know it. It'll be it'll be January. We'll be we'll be on CBS All Access watching and seeing what uh, what new Star Trek on TV feels like. Well, we're about six weeks out from production formally beginning in Toronto. Um, just a, a slight uh, correction to what you're saying. We're going to get the pilot over air on CBS. And then, yeah, set coordinates to CBS All Access and pony up your five ninety nine or whatever it's going to be to get those remaining 12 episodes. I know some people are a little like, oh, it's another thing to to spend money on. I'll admit that was my initial reaction when I first heard about it. But if you think of every time somebody works to save a show, right, and there's the petitions and there's the send things into the studio – Show's got to make money for a show to be there. Is it is it going to be an extra, you know, whatever a month? Yeah, but here's the flip side. We get to support this show. If it's good and if it's exciting, we get to support it and help make it happen in a way that, gee whiz, Pete, d- did you hear about this show similar to Star Trek Discovery that was out in the late 1960s? It got canceled because not enough people watched it. But you know what? It had a future. It did. And granted, you know, there's been some consternation given that in other countries it's going to be coming over Netflix. All right, let's get over that. Uh, the, the quality of the show is going to determine, uh, you know, sink or swim, obviously, here. And we're talking about a legacy brand with uh, Star Trek, something that is near and dear to both of our hearts. Um, CBS All Access is hitching its wagon to this and the Good Wife spinoff. I think we know where they're going to get a little bit more loyal audience. Well, you got to start somewhere. And certainly the idea of $6 per month, let's just put this into perspective here. That's like, that's like what a dollar 50 per Star Trek episode. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. Uh, it and, is. And, and this is, this is really uh, of any um, network to attempt this. They're wise to attempt it with Star Trek. You can't make it with Star Trek. You're really going to have a hard time making it with anything else. Certainly wouldn't be the first time that uh, that they've used Star Trek to try and launch a network, as was uh, the case in the 80s, ended up not becoming a network, of uh, Next Generation and, of course, Voyager launching a network as well. So, Pete, this is just familiar territory, jumping into, the, uh, into, into new turf when it comes to TV. So... It's a good time to be excited about Star Trek. 
Let's talk casting. Let's talk about the people, Matt, that will launch this series from a narrative perspective and still uh, formally no names, but we definitively can say now we will have a female lead with this show. Could be a, um, a minority female lead, um, although they've not written it that way. Uh, Matt, I keep hearing Angela Bassett. I I think that there's not going to be a more important casting decision than the lead. I think that it is so very interesting that they're looking at uh, this this character possibly, probably not uh, not being a captain at least to start things out. That's where I'm. That's where I'm really interested in in focusing is the fact that they're going to be giving us this character who has room to grow, has room to grow up the, the, the rank ladder, has room to grow as a person, has room to grow in, you know, in the story before us. And um, certainly it, it's timely to have a female lead. Uh, it's it, it, no problem here at being a minority or not or whatever. Make it a great character that we can get behind. When Brian Fuller spoke about uh, a little under two weeks ago, he mentioned that the character's rank at the beginning of the series would be lieutenant commander with caveats, whatever that means. So obviously, and we'll talk a little bit more about the structure of the story as we move through the casting, but uh, you know, there's there's going to be a time over which this character will uh, will grow and evolve. Whatever those caveats are, what does that mean? That means story potential for something interesting. Maybe it's a lieutenant who's been thrust early into a higher rank and she's not quite ready because blank, because the war is on or because there's been a, a tragedy on the, you know, on the planet or whatever it might be. Um, I kind of suspect that it wouldn't be somebody who's been busted down to lieutenant commander, but uh, but that could be interesting too. Maybe Pete, it's the A team. It's this female lieutenant commander. She's been wrongfully accused of whatever and has to fight and prove her way back. Regardless, so much of Star Trek comes from this static place. That's the tradition of television in the 1960s. In large part, that's carried over to Next Generation, and you see that to varying degrees with uh, with Voyager and with Enterprise. Deep Space Nine being the exception where they really do let those characters grow. And there's a reason why Deep Space Nine has grown in its esteem as the years have gone on, where the other shows have maintained where they're at, at some cases in very high levels, like Next Generation and Classic Trek. It's because these characters can grow that, that, that these things improve over time. And I think so, too, as the characters grow, the acceptance of what we can do with our characters has grown. For the first time ever, we're going to get a definitively gay character as a lead in Star Trek. There was a, the, the, there was a great oversight uh, that, was, that was corrected by Star Trek Beyond, recognizing the, the, the infinite diversity and infinite combinations uh, specifically homosexuality, and to to bring that to the show in a way where Star Trek Beyond purposefully uh, underplayed it to kind of make a make a a statement in in its uh, lack of a statement to have a character who 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 is gay and who just exists as that. It, it doesn't need to be something that's either hidden or 
or uh, I don't know in our faces in some sort of way. I'm, I'm sure there are network concerns. Well, we don't want to we don't want to overdo it. Again, this is classic Star Trek territory. Whether it's classic Trek or there's Star Trek in general, there's got to be network pressure. Let's not be too out there. But the time is right. The show is right. The property is right. Let's let's make this happen. It's always been such obviously forward thinking uh, drama and uh, that it that it's taken this long, that it will be its 51st year in existence uh, to finally. I mean, we've had gay characters before. I think of the uh, the Deep Space Nine uh, Dax story, um, which was handled very well. Um, particularly at a time, you know, that was, that was pre, uh, you know, Ellen DeGeneres coming out on TV and things like that. Uh, but it's amazing to think it's been this long until that's happened. Um, Matt, that character or another character will be named. We have a name, Saru, S-A-R-U, which Fuller began to describe as having a wide and then stopped. (laughs) That's all we got. <laughs> huh. Well, that takes away my one theory that sound, that it's a, a vaguely Vulcan-sounding name. But um, I'm glad he stopped there. I mean, is it suggested? Wide forehead. That's what comes to mind. Wide forehead Klingon. Nope, that's not. That's that's likely not the case. Um, heck, maybe he was even trolling the audience, having a laugh, whatever it might be. There's There's so much about Star Trek that does depend on how these characters are are created from the word go. I mean, you think of Worf, when the next generation started, had had this representation of maybe one day we'll be able to work side by side with those Soviets. And the show was obviously prescient by about two years in the notion of, of uh, that particular obstacle being overcome. Um, it, it's something that's so essential to the metaphor of the character, as well as just Worf as the Klingon, the warrior, the solitary guy, and all that he brought to to his two series. So, hey, let's bring on Saru and the wide whatever. <laughs> We're also promised uh, new aliens and a reimagining of existing ones. So, whether they're Vulcan, Klingon, Romulan. I, I can't imagine we're going to vary too much from with the existing aliens from what we've seen. You, you think of, though this is set in the prime universe, you think of how um, the J.J. Abrams Kelvin timeline has changed up what little we've seen of, of Klingons, piercings, uh, helmets, things like that. Um but there'll be a a mix of uh, what's old and what's new. Well, for there to be the statement reimagining of existing ones, you have to think that they're looking at Klingons first. I mean, what are they going to do? Reimagine Romulans as from pointy-eared in classic Trek to pointy-eared and prominent uh, foreheaded uh, in, in Next Generation how are you going to reimagine beyond that and still kind of feel like it all generally fits the, the winking thing of, Oh, these are the Star Trek, the motion picture Klingons. It's always kind of been that way. Right. Cause now we have money. And then of course, later on, they, they address it story-wise uh, to me in a way that wasn't necessary. You could have just said, Oh, Klingons have always been like that. Um, 
I think that's what you might see here it is some sort of sprinkling in there. Now, it could be some of your second-level aliens, your Andorians, for example, come to mind. Imagine what what, what proper uh, proper animatronics on somebody's head could do for a really cool Andorian thing. But time will tell. Hey, maybe we'll, we even, had... maybe we'll even see uh, Lieutenant Arix kind of re- reimagined, the three-armed guy from the animated series. We had pretty uh, well done animatronics on the uh, the antennae on the Andorian Stern Enterprise. You know, you go back, um, you know, eleven years. So it's it's hard to imagine there. Either way, Matt, we're promised uh, more aliens than any other Trek recurring cast, which is hard to imagine given you know the the stable of characters that Deep Space Nine had. There might, Matt, might even be robots robots we'll see about that we'll see how effectively it can be done if that's a route they go here's my suspicion you draw the venn diagram of lieutenant commander data and then you say okay we don't want to do a robot like that what's left a droid okay that's gonna either come off as a ripoff or 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 lucasfilm will sue us or whatever i suspect they'll probably just stick to stick to to people and makeup and calling them aliens but um that said you know it, it it just takes one new take on the robot the robot as a character for it to really for it to really connect with an audience and Matt, not just new, there's some belief, uh, even out of Fuller's mouth, we might get uh, older characters like uh, Spock's mother, Amanda Grayson, who could conceivably be played by Winona Ryder. It's not as if uh, she's just been thrust back into prominence in, uh, in a, a pretty uh, well-accepted uh, genre story, or a, a young Dr. McCoy, even. I think both of those are really exciting possibilities, doubly so given uh, Winona Ryder's uh, success with Stranger Things. Um, and, and it would be a great way to, her presence would, to tie together the two, the two different timelines, uh, given that, spoiler alert, she's dead in the Kelvin t- uh, timeline. But it, 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 it's all this... It's all this exciting possibility. It's all this exciting genesis that we're at where that 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 spark that makes all the series wonderful when they're at their best, that spark is here too. They just need to need to find it and and focus it. Uh, we have a director for the pilot already, David Semmel, and he comes with quite a pedigree, having been nominated for Emmys on both Heroes and House. So ready to add a show that doesn't begin with H to his award-winning resume. Also Seventh Heaven. Um, <laughs> no pressure, buddy. No pressure in in making this making this work and that's part of the incredible pressure that's on the pilot as a whole because people do need to consciously follow it from the pilot being broadcast on cbs to cbs all access they really need to nail it and that makes me excited they're they're kind of working without without a a net beneath them and it needs to be needs to be compelling from the word go 
Well, Matt, let's talk storytelling. There was some belief early on that what this was going to be an anthology style show in the wake of an American horror story or even a Fargo that has since been, uh, uh, you know, put the kibosh on. It's uh, now being said by Fuller that this is going to be told kind of like chapters in a book, which is a very interesting way to look at it um, narratively. I don't know exactly what that means, chapters in a book. Um, Perhaps that's just his flourishy way to say it will all be connected and all part of one season-long storyline. Maybe it's a little bit more of a hint there. It makes me wonder... Do we uh, do we do some sort of jumps in time? You know, perhaps um, be as artistic as each episode is uh, one month later. One month later, as we see uh, the discovery being built, or as we see things, and there's maybe there's kind of gaps where we need to fill it in, or or gaps where the requisite comic book and uh, paperback book and you know e comic and whatever might fit in. So. Again, there's kind of all this potential here where certainly it needs to be more than episodic. TV has moved past that, and the best-loved stories from Star Trek are the ones with ongoing storylines. The time is right to do Star Trek where it's consistently and continuously and consciously a a season-long story. Well, we've been teased with new crews, new villains, new worlds, and I think to hem yourself into one particularly style, particular style of storytelling, you know, when when you can embrace so much more, given the types of stories we're going to be telling on the show, I think is certainly a shrewd move. I wonder to what degree the the new crews, new villains and all that that how much of that is from the marketing department in place of developed story or how much of it is set. I know initially people were saying there's going to be multiple ships or there's going to be whatever it might be. Time will tell. I, I, again, I think the the promotion is so out in advance of the production which makes sense they're launching new content on a on a new uh format so you need to get the word out there you need to cut through the buzz of everything else that's out there but to me i just kind of put a little pin in that to say i don't know how much we can read out of out of that promo stuff well matt uh bringing this all together of course under uh, executive producer and showrunner Brian Fuller. We have a, a writing room that's composed of the likes of uh, Gene Roddenberry, the son of uh, the great bird of the galaxy. Um, of course, Fuller, Nicholas Meyer, uh, he of Star Trek uh, Two, uh, The Wrath of Khan, uh, Star Trek Four, The Voyage Home, and Star Trek Six, The Undiscovered Country. Um, Joe Minoski, of course, uh, veteran, next generation, and uh, Star Trek Voyager uh, writer, and uh, Aaron Eli Colide, who, uh, of course, worked on uh, Heroes and uh, several other productions. It's a ton of pedigree, both Star Trek and non, that's being put into the creative staff here. And that's what maybe is most exciting because 
we understand that there's going to be a bridge on the ship. We understand that it's going to have to have a captain's chair and maybe they'll do maybe they'll do two chairs like Voyager or maybe there'll be one chair on a platform like Classic Trek, but there's certain things where it's it's going to take a production team and it's going to take creative people to figure all that out. But nobody's going to care if the stories aren't compelling and if the characters aren't compelling. And that's why it really is this case that you need that writing staff to be to be bringing the, 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 the heart of the show. And when you're broadcasting initially over the air, but uh, for the series uh, as planned over CBS All Access, we're told that's going to allow for a slightly more graphic content whatever that means. So will we see our first decapitation on the bridge or, you know, a, a full fledged disaster over the uh, transporter who knows what it means, but there's at least that latitude from a storytelling perspective. Maybe more of those uh, twins that Kirk, uh, well, anyhow, let's move on, Pete. Uh, do I understand that there's going to be some sort of incident, which, which this season surrounds or that this season is involved in an incident that allegedly we already know about. There's discussion from Fuller that uh, there's been an incident referenced in classic Trek, never glimpsed that this is going to use as a springboard. He has said it is not the Kobayashi Maru incident. He has also said it is not the Romulan War, which is what a lot of people jump to. It was something that um, Enterprise, had it gone its anticipated seven-season run, would have eventually covered. So what is it? Is this some some Klingon mystique? Um, who knows, Matt? Who knows? The fact that they are consciously connecting themselves to the star trek lore that we know at least in some in some degree up front ahead of oh it's it's spock's mom it's young dr mccoy whatever it might be um it shows the right reverence for the 700 plus episodes uh that that come before the pilot episode of star trek discovery you have to find that way to tie it in but for it not to be retread and um I think the time period that this is set, 10 years before Kirk's Enterprise, that makes sense. I mean, I'm kind of expecting, I'm expecting rather 1960s classic Trek looking aesthetics to it all, just maybe not quite that stylized, but I'm kind of expecting the way the movies, the recent movies have have taken that look and updated it. That's kind of what I'm, what I'm expecting in terms of design philosophy. But to tie it back to the grand Star Trek canvas that we know, it's so, so critical. And that what it was what Fuller talked a little bit about, um, saying that the the set styles will be of uh, the era 10 years before uh, Kirk's Enterprise set in the prime universe. However, they will be updated for our time in, in television. So granted you know you you can't go back with the accuracy of the tv sets of 51 years ago and and recreate that there's only so far you can take it as far as screen accuracy i just think as long as they don't try to they don't try and take it too far either way on the one hand this shouldn't look like a multi-million dollar fan production that is slavishly dedicated to recreating what has already occurred flip side 
I remember how there were some people a little miffed when Enterprise first uh, first hit the airwaves, where it's like, look, they have uh, they have uh, you know personal data things that clearly they didn't have back in Kirk's time, but this is before it, but it's more reflective of what we have in the in the year two thousand one. If you just find that that medium setting then people aren't going to say well they didn't have that there or that that just looks like the way it used to there's nothing new there is that middle ground where you can really you can be respectful of the past but looking ahead to the future as well i gotta say i'm a little baffled that we would again go with a prequel and and now whereas enterprise went you know full reverse as opposed to the other shows at this point, now we're setting a show between Enterprise and between the original series. Curious as a choice. Um, it's additionally curious, Matt, when we see that uh, teaser footage, uh, which, of course, the design of the ship, we're told, has already changed. The registry of the Discovery is NCC 1031. Some idea it could be a hint at Section 31, the shadowy spy organization, of course, first mentioned in Deep Space Nine, but was connected to Enterprise as well. The use of Section 31 in Deep Space Nine as as this behind-the-scenes government agency that is doing the dirty work uh, that that people in the Happy Federation don't think you need anymore because life is so great and life is kept so great in part because they're doing this dirty work behind the scenes. When Deep Space Nine had it, if you watch it contemporarily, it was like, uh, it's the roaring 90s, man, whatever. I guess sometimes government's got to be a little dirty. You watch it since then. Uh, you watch it, say, post 9-11, any time from then till now, and you realize that there is this gray area and there are lots of questions in terms of when do you need to do the wrong thing for the right thing and when do you do the wrong thing for the right thing but it it, it gets you negative consequences point being we're living in a world that still discusses the role of government the role of espionage the role of of behind the scenes goings on star trek has this already in section 31 it should be a part of this show because this show is always about the dialogue that we are having with ourselves. And lastly, Matt, there is uh, at least some precedence for discovery. The name of the vessel is checked in the original series episode, Squire of Gothos, where uh, Kirk tells Uhura to get a message to them. Could it be the same ship? Could it be a later ship? Who knows? But it's there. It's it's almost reminding me of uh, of when the the Adam and Eve bodies were found in Lost. That was their intention to say we have a thing that we're going to pay off way down the line to prove that we're headed somewhere. Maybe that's the naming of the Starship Discovery. Hey, one day if this is successful, I don't know, season ten, we'll get a we'll get a message from Uhura <laughs> to, to give us a heads up, and, and then we can say, look, we've been we've been grandly connected all along. Um, maybe it's that. Maybe it's just a cool name. Regardless, it's it, it, it's such an evocative name, obviously, for discovering and things of that sort. But it, there's there's kind of a there's a beautiful simplicity to the name, and uh, and uh, I have to say, Pete, I dig it. Well, Matt, 
moving on here, of course, we will uh, be at and be bringing you all the coverage from the Star Trek Mission New York, uh, which will happen the weekend of September 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, and especially bringing you the news from the panel on Saturday, September 3rd, uh, Nick Meyer in attendance. Um, anything that's uh, worthy of your ears, we'll have for you. Definitely hope to uh, to run into listeners at, uh, at Mission New York. Uh, it's always great fun when we come across people at at, at uh, conventions who who listen to us, or heck, even some who we meet for the first time and find out about Fantastic Geeks. So, if you're going to be at Mission New York, definitely uh, do let us know. Hopefully, you can meet up, uh, share a share a, a Vulcan salute high five, which of course is the mark <laughs> of every uh, of every Star Trek fan. Um, you know, you're really a Star Trek fan if you're out of breath afterwards. Um, but it should be fun. I'm looking forward to Mission New York that uh, that first weekend in September. Definitely. And in the interim, uh, you can help to keep the warp drive on Fantastic Geek going by visiting patreon.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. We've set up all sorts of uh, perks for you if you want to get a little something back for giving to us. Or, you know what? Sometimes generosity has its own benefits indeed in the 23rd century there is no money for earthers it is a it is a uh it is a a delight where you're driven only by your own your own gumption but uh alas here we are in the 21st century and we are so appreciative of our patreon patrons who uh who help keep the ship afloat so uh thank you patrons and uh of course pete there is one gift that is always free. It is opening hailing frequencies with you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 8,219 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with the PH, and you can find us under that name on the dot com, the Gmail, the Instagram, the Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek, all one word with the PH. Like it today. Well, Pete, we will be back talking Star Trek, uh, certainly after Mission New York, and as breaking news unfolds ahead of Star Trek Discovery hitting uh, first CBS for the pilot and then cbs all access for the rest of the run of the series so exciting times indeed hope to be talking star trek soon and i will say bye bye make it so